You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, and we'll begin in verse 13. And, and really what we've been singing about all morning is what we'll be looking at today in, in God's Word. And as we've been looking at heaven and eternity... In the scriptures, we've gotten to see a few things already, and we've got more to see in the next couple of weeks, but we've seen how we get to heaven. It's by by faith in Christ alone. We've seen what happens after we die and and what the present heaven is like today. And then today, we're going to see what happens when Jesus comes back. What will happen when the Lord descends? And he most definitely is returning So what does the Bible say happens when Jesus returns? And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the word of God. And we'll begin in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the Holy Spirit says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of commands, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. And build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now to be awake. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And to see you, your glory, the glory of the beloved Son. So help us now, Spirit, to hear your word. And it's in your mighty name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. What I love about verse 13, right out of the gate, is that God, you can see God's heart for you in this passage, is that God doesn't want you to be uninformed. 
God doesn't want you to be clueless about what is going to happen at the end of the world. He wants you to be informed. And it's up to you and to me if we will receive it, believe it, enjoy it, and look forward to it. I mean, look at verse 13 again. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. God wants you to know what is going to happen at the end of the world. There is no Bible code. There is no numbering system you need. The Bible has fully given you everything you need for life and godliness and for your joy for the end of the world. This is God's heart here. And then look at the end. I I love verse, the end of chapter four. Look at verse 18. After Paul talks about the return of Christ, look at how Paul summarizes how we should view it. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encouragement. And look at the end, of verse, uh, the end of verse 11 in chapter 5. After he's done talking more about the return of Christ, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So Paul's view of eschatology and end times isn't let's divide, let's have arguments, let's have camps, let's war, which often happens in Christianity. We're so united together in Christ, but then people start dividing about, well, I think the end times is like this. I think it's like this and this. And Paul's whole point is encourage one another with these words. If our eschatology and if the way we yield our view of the end times, if it discourages anyone, we're not using it correctly. If our view of the end times brings about fights with other Christians, we're not using them correctly. The way we yield and the way that we wield the scriptures, it should bring about great encouragement in one another. So from in the spirit of verse 13, the spirit of verse 18, and the spirit of 511, I hope you are informed And I hope you're encouraged. God's heart for you is to be encouraged about what is going to happen at the end of the world. He doesn't want you to be panicky. He doesn't want you to be fearful. I want you to be encouraged by what God is going to do for you at the end of the world. You have a bright future ahead of you. You have a bright and glorious eternity in store for you. So know this. If the Lord Jesus died for your sins, And if he is alive in heaven for you, he is coming back to get you. There is no doubt. He's going to give you a resurrected, glorified human body, and you will enter into eternity into the new earth. So often the question is, when is Jesus coming back? So when is this going to happen? Actually, Jesus has given us a timetable for when this will occur. But he's also told us no one knows the hour. He says that often in the Gospels. No one knows the hour when the Son of Man is going to return. And so there are some people who have said, well, Jesus said we don't know the hour. That means we can figure out the day. And that's why, or even we can figure out the year. That's why books were written like this, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. I think you missed it by a little bit. Because the Bible is clear. We can't know the exact day or the exact time. And even if somebody was like, oh, I figured it out somehow, I think the Lord would be in heaven. You blew it. It can't be that one now. Because no one knows. The Bible likens it, the return of Christ, to a pregnancy, which our church knows a lot about. (laughs) You have a timetable. I mean, you heard it in 1 Thessalonians. The end will come on like labor pains. The Lord likens it to pregnancy. You've got a timetable, but you really don't know. And the doctors really don't know. It could be that baby could arrive at 38 weeks. Or it could be 40 weeks and four days. Or it could be 36 weeks. 
that you, you just don't know. But there are signs of the times, and there are labor pains. So look at First Thessalonians again, but look at chapter 5, verse 1. So in the middle of Paul talking about this, remember, there are no chapter divisions when Paul was writing this. So as he's writing this whole bit down about Christ returning, 5.1 says, now concerning the times and the seasons. So Paul talks about these contractions, these signs of the times that the, first, the Thessalonian believers, they know about them. And some of us, we probably know about them. And they're aware of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24. If you want to read more about the signs of the times, you can read Matthew 24. And Jesus goes into great, great detail. I'll just read a small section of what Jesus says, that these labor pains, like these contractions, when they start to get minutes apart. And look at what Jesus says. I put some summary on the screen. Matthew 24, Jesus says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. See what Jesus is saying? Don't be alarmed. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. These contractions that culture, society, and earth is beginning to go through. And he says, they will deliver you. Remember, he's talking to his disciples, but he's talking to us too. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Just think about some of the things Jesus has said. False teachers, earthquakes, famines, people saying they are Jesus, wars. And he says, these are the beginning of contractions. We are in these now, aren't we? Are there false teachers today? Yeah, lots. Are there earthquakes today? Yeah. Are there famines today? Are there false Christs? People who say that they're Jesus, yes. Most recently in Florida and Miami. And he goes on. Tribulation, this intense persecution, yeah. Christians being hated, this is happening now. And, and Jesus says later, this generation will see these things happen before they die. And that's true. It happened. All of this happened to the early church. And it's true for every era of the church. We in the USA, we might not be experiencing all these things on the list, but remember, our propensity to look at the Bible and to see things like this and go, well, that's not happening to us. You're right. It's not happening to us. But we are a global church. So when it, when it happens to our brothers and sisters in Syria, when they get persecuted, it's happening to us too. We are a global church. Our brothers and sisters in Iran facing these things, intense persecution, being hated by their ruler, yes. Are Christians in North Korea experiencing all of these things? These signs are underway. The, the earth is in a long labor for the arrival of Christ. And then Jesus says, then my gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to every nation. 
And then the end will come. That's linking up with the Great Commission to go to all nations and to make disciples of all nations. So it seems Jesus is saying, until someone from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue hears about me and believes in me, then I'll come back. That seems like the greatest timetable until someone from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue knows me, then I will return. Now, so could Jesus come back tomorrow? Could the Lord come back in the middle of my sermon? I think he could. Because he also tells us, remember, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. So he wants you to be thinking, this could happen at any moment. And he doesn't want us to be thinking, ah, no big deal. There's still like a thousand unreached people groups, so we're good. That, that's not the spirit he wants us to have. I think the Lord could reach all those people groups in a second if he wanted to right now. He could use any means, any form, fashion, and he could reach everyone he wants to reach in a heartbeat, and then the Lord could descend. That's why the Bible constantly says the return is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He wants us to feel an urgency that this could happen soon, that he'll arrive like a burglar when we're asleep. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. So verse 1, Paul talking about these seasons that we just went over. And then he says in verse 2, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, his arrival, this judgment day, will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3, while people are saying there's peace and security, no big deal, everything's fine, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. A thief in the night is sudden. It's surprising. It's, it's alerting. You, you don't expect it, and it hits, and it, then it's too late. The point is that the return of Jesus is at hand, that we, after his resurrection and return to the Father, now, after he rose and went to the Father, now we are in the final days. We are in the end of the age. We are in the last stanza of human history waiting for his return. And we have hope. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. He doesn't want us to be uninformed about those believers who have already fallen asleep and are already with Christ. And he says that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. So we have hope. We're not to be panicky. We're not to be freaked out. We're not to be overly anxious about the end of the world. Because the way the world is today is not the way it's always going to be. We have a great hope in our great God and Savior, that he has secured your future, that you have a real, eternal, glorious future with the risen Christ, that you have life beyond your death, and the hope of eternity is found in a one-time death and resurrection and return. It's like Christ is our only hope, because look at verse 14. So 13 in says, for we, we have hope for, verse 14, what is that hope? For since we believe, that Jesus died and rose again. The gospel is our hope. Not just our hope for our first salvation, but for our final salvation. That we'll be saved from the second death, from judgment. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Our great hope. You must believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, according to verse 14. Do you believe that? If you believe that Jesus, since I, you should be able to say, since I believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
This means you have great hope. You have a glorious future. And this means that you are unboggable. You cannot be bogged down by politics, economics, and paychecks. I love what Kevin put on Facebook this past week. He just put on his Facebook, thinking on eternity makes these next four years seem a lot less everlasting. These next four years in America are going to be nuts. But we have eternity. And it makes, he's right, these next four years, it makes them seem very granular, very just a speck of sand in light of eternity. That's why Titus 2 says that we are awaiting our blessed hope, our eager expectation, waiting for the appearing of our great God and Savior. So now even more so, I think what God is doing in the American church in this time is that he is kind of cutting out the unhealthy umbilical cord we had to the American political system. He's untethering us from finding our chief identity in being Americans, but finding our chief identity in being disciples of Christ, and that we really are sojourners on this planet. And look what's going to happen when Jesus returns, when he returns with our loved ones, with those who have already fallen asleep, when he returns with the Christians who have already died. Look at the great return of Jesus. Verse 14, that through Jesus, God will bring with him So when Jesus returns, through him, through his life, death, resurrection, God is going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. When Jesus comes back, every Christian stationed in heaven is coming back to earth with him. And this will be the majority of Christians, if you think about it. This is why John in Revelation says, when he sees heaven, he says, I can't even count how many people are here. There's a number of people. I can't, it's myriads and myriads. There will be billions of people saved by King Jesus, and they'll be coming back with him. Because if you think about it, whenever he returns, there'll only be the Christians who are living on the earth, and then every other Christian is all up in heaven with him. From Adam to the very last Christian who believes and has died, who died and then went to the heavenly places, they will all return like an angelic army with Christ. Humans. Christ leading the way as the God-man. And this is not Bible story time with cute pictures and talking veggies in the produce section. This is reality. It can only be reality because it can only bring us real hope. If we don't see this as reality, we won't have real hope. We'll have a superficial kind of lightly glazed hope. But this is reality that Christ is returning. And look at what happens when Jesus comes back. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The brass will blare. The heavenly horn section will play, and there will be a loud shout. This is why... Just for me, when I hear things about rapture theology and it's like, oh, it's a secret kind of taking away, there is nothing secret about a horn playing. I've never interpreted a scream being a secret scream. The archangel will yell. There will be a loud shout. This is a royal announcement. Horn plays. There is a scream from the angels. 
a cry of command, like the voice of an archangel. He comes down with a loud shout, and everyone will see it. The first time Jesus came, only a handful of eyewitnesses were there. Most of them were animals. Happened in a barn in obscurity. The second time Jesus comes, no one will be hidden from his sight. The Bible says in Matthew 24, Jesus says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 1, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Everyone will see him arriving on the clouds. And I love that Paul says the Lord Jesus himself, himself will descend. Not a vision. Himself. Not an angel. Himself. Not an intern, himself. And he will yell a command, Paul says, a cry of command. What does he yell? He tells us in John 5. Listen to John 5. This blue, this, I was just kind of flipping through a, a new Bible, and I stumbled upon this verse. Blew me away. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead, what does he mean is now here? This era, this, this era now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says the dead are gonna hear what I yell. That's incredible. The next time you drive by a cemetery, you think of John 5, a day will come when Jesus yells and everyone in the ground will hear him yell. The dead will hear his voice. Tombs will become Bluetooth speakers for the voice of Christ. And they will hear and they will get up and then we will rise again. We will all rise again. Do you see the power of Jesus in John 5? the dead will hear his voice and rise. I mean, just think about the magnitude of this, of how many dead there are. Just think about Christians from all time, from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue, hearing the voice of Christ. When the cry of command happens, 1 Thessalonians 4, John 5, Adam and Eve will get up. Resurrected new bodies. Abraham, up. Moses, up. David, up. Peter and Paul, up. The Thessalonian Christians, all up. Martin Luther, up. John Newton, up. John Wesley, up. Second century Romans, up. 15th century German monks, up. 20th century Saudis, up. And if we go before the Lord arrives, we too will be up. His resurrection purchased our resurrection. Your life matters. And your life in Christ, with Christ, has no end. Your life in Christ and your life with Christ now has no end. And when the cry of command happens and we all rise, standing on the earth will be the testimony of the gospel. 
the power of God to save from sin, Satan, and death, resurrected human beings all standing in the presence of Jesus. And this is really what sets Christianity apart from every other religion, that we don't believe in this eternal soul-only afterlife, but that we believe in these bodies right here being made new, rising again, and the earth being made new. Talk more about that next week. Because sometimes, even in Christianity, you'll hear people say, oh, I, I remember there was a, a Christian band way back when I was in elementary school, and their name was called Earth Suit. Do you remember that band name? Yeah. Earth Suit. Kind of a cool, like, oh, yeah, it's just my Earth Suit. Well, that's not true. Sometimes we'll hear people say things like, oh, man, the soul's the real me. My spirit's the real us. That's not true. Our, our bodies, our physicality, this is the real us, too. This body is just as much the real me as my soul is the real me. That's why when you rise, you'll have the same body but made new. Jesus is a complete Savior. If he only purchased our souls and not our bodies, then Satan still won something. But he purchases soul, body, mind, DNA. He purchases all of us. Look at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, if we're, if we're alive when Jesus comes back, we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. We'll, we'll meet them up there. We'll fly up there and we'll change. I think our bodies will be transformed and we'll meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Every Christian from every time forever with God on the new earth. I think if we're alive and he comes back tomorrow, he comes back today and we see the dead in Christ rise and they're transformed and then we zoop change. We go behind the cloud of the curtains, get our new body, and we fly back down with him, and we're forever. This is based off 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul says, this is incredible to me. This is, this is a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So he knows that every Christian won't die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. In the, in the eye blink, this happens. It's done, transformed, imperishable, immortal bodies. Our bodies are changed. They become like bulletproof. Our bodies will be unkillable, repaired, and renewed. This imperishable body, the perishable putting on the imperishable, the mortal body putting on the immortality, what does all this mean? It means that now in the new earth and these new bodies, no glasses will be needed. No insulin. No antibiotics. All the pharmaceutical stuff and CVS will be non-existent. No, no blood pressure meds. Zyrtec will be irrelevant, especially in the new Houston. The fair flu market is dead because our bodies become imperishable. There will be no shelf life to our new bodies. Our bodies will be just like Jesus' resurrected body. As John says in 1 John 3, beloved, I love this, we are God's children now. Right now, if you are in Christ, you are God's child. 
dearly loved, greatly loved. We are God's children now. And what we will be, so we are God's children, but we're going to also be something else. What we will be has not yet appeared. What will we be, John? Listen to what he says. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because why? Why will we be like him? Because we will see him as he is. Jesus is the first model of the resurrected human being. And we will be just like him. Now think about Jesus' body. Read all four accounts of the Gospels and look at Jesus' body and see, this is what I'm going to be like. For real. Think about what he did after he rose again. They hugged him. Physically, you could touch him. He says, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. It's my actual body, my actual organs. Look, I still have the scars. So will we have the scars? I, I don't know. I don't think so. It's my opinion. I think Jesus has them because he is, this, some, he is our Savior, and it will be a forever eternal symbol for what he has done for us. So I don't, I don't personally think we'll have all of our scars and all those things. But if we do, okay, fine. We won't be sad about them. They could hug him. They could speak with him. They could recognize his voice. He ate fish. He even cooked there he is on the shore, and the, John, the Gospel of John says he made a little charcoal grill, and there he is, no propane, charcoal grill, and he's cooking. And the disciples walk up, and he's like, let's eat. I've, I've made breakfast. He's a resurrected human, the God-man, and we'll be just like that. Will we be 33 years old? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I think whatever age you'll be, you'll be thrilled. I don't think we'll have superpowers either. Like, well, Jesus flew and Jesus just appeared in rooms. Will we be able to do that? I don't think we're going to have superpowers. We're still humans. I don't know how old we'll be. I don't know if my hairline will return or any of those things. But I know whatever age we are and whatever six-pack status we have, our joy will be full. We will be free from sin and all of its effects forever. And it's nearly impossible to fathom that there will be a state in my life where I will not have a single effect and temptation and residual complication of sin in my life. But it will be raised imperishable. So until then, how do we live? How does the future change our present? Almost every time the future resurrection and return of Christ is mentioned in the New Testament, it is meant to spur you on, to energize you, and to animate you, and to motivate you for today. So how do we live until that day? Look at right here in 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 6. So then, since you know all of this is happening from chapter 4, verse 13, all the way to now, since you know this is occurring, so then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, and now he's using awake and sleep in multiple ways. He's using sleep to talk about those who are dead in Christ. And he's using also sleep to talk about those who are dead in their sins. So he's telling us, we're not gonna, if you're not asleep in either way, if you're not asleep dead in your sins, and if you're not asleep dead and with Christ, you see that? Dead, but with Christ. Alive, but dead in your sins. But we, we are awake. We're not dead in our sins. So, since we are awake, let's live like we're awake. Since we belong to the day, 
Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith in love, verse 8, and in the helmet of our hope. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. So we don't sleep like others do. We don't live like those who are dead in their sins. But we live like those who have been resurrected already with Christ. He is saying in chapter 5, live like you are already resurrected. You are already raised with Christ in newness of life. You just haven't gotten your new model of your body yet. So go ahead and live like you've been raised with Christ. We are awake. We are light. We are in an internship for the kingdom to come. And this is only possible because it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. We can live like resurrected people because it's the Holy Spirit's work in us. For the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we can live like resurrected people because we are indwelt by the resurrected Savior. Counting ourselves now dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can now think on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We can now look forward to our heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. The church, all of us, we can now be unified and in harmony, united together around Christ, just like we will be in the new earth. When a church refuses to be divided by preferences and opinions and different disagreements on doctrine, but united around Christ, that is a time portal to the new earth, showing us that no matter our race, no matter our income, and even no matter our secondary beliefs, we are united in Christ, just like we will forever be on the new earth. That day, that day changes these days. This is Paul's point for us. That day of the Lord to come changes how we live our, these days for the Lord. Changes how we live these days for the Lord. We live resurrectedly. And I love 417. He says, those who are left We'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. And then the end of verse 17 says, so we will always be with the Lord. We'll always be with him. And the end of chapter 5 and verse 10 says, whether we are awake or asleep. So now he brings that metaphor back in. Whether we are awake, we haven't died, or whether we are asleep, we have died and we are with Christ, what? We might live with him. All the believers, Moses, he's living with Christ right now. We who are awake, we are living with Christ right now. We will always live with him. Unbreakable. That's the great reward of eternal life. Always with Christ. So will you always be with him? Do you know right now if you will always be with him? Will you be surprised on the day of the Lord? Will you be surprised on judgment day? Sometimes you hear, well, Christians enter into judgment. We will not enter into judgment for our sin. We won't be judged for our sins because we've already been judged at the cross. All of your sins have already been judged if you are in Christ. You have no need to fear in eternity of your, the role of your life being called and all of your mail being read. That, that has already happened at the cross of Christ. We will be judged for good works. For Second Corinthians says there will be a... a commendation at that day, a a praise for the things that we have done for Christ. The Bible says that God has chosen to not remember our sins anymore. 
If that's true, which it is, it means he's not gonna bring them back up again on judgment day. There's no asterisk on that verse. He will not remember our sins anymore except on the last day. No, they've been forgotten because Christ has paid for them. Christians have already been judged in Jesus. When he died in our place on the cross, our sins paid for, our crimes were accounted for, our judgment day was held, and we were fully judged in Christ. And now we've been fully forgiven in Christ. We've been counted fully righteous in Christ. So the only way we'll be judged for our sins again is if Christ has some sins to be judged for, and he does not. We are now counted righteous in Christ, now and forever. Have you trusted in Christ? If you have not trusted in Christ, you will be judged by him. Your sins will be stacked against you by him. Acts 17 says that God raised him from the dead, and now he will judge the world. This will be an awful day. So you can trust him now and be judged in him now and be forgiven, or he will judge you. I don't want anyone in our church to be surprised on Judgment Day, like Jesus says in Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you see what they're banking on for eternal life? Their works, their actions, not him. So what reason do you have to get eternal life? I go to church, I pray, I, pray, I read my Bible, I'm, I give, I've gone on mission trips, I mean, I try to live a good life. None of those things are enough. If it's anything other than Jesus, it's wrong. The only reason we will be saved and guaranteed eternal life is by Christ and Christ alone. So put your faith and trust in him alone. There is no sin too big for our Savior. Trust him now because the day is at hand. Let's end with these last words from Jesus in the Bible. A, a buoy for all believers. He says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. He's coming soon. Amen. We're waiting, Jesus. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.